Hey everyone, welcome back to Blockcast. We are at our weekly rant. So this is where me and Will talk about prices, current market, anything we want. We'll see where we talk with the conversation goes. Will, how are you today? Great, Simon. Uh, I was just looking at the fear and greed index uh, yesterday, and it looks like things have been heating up at least for the last week. And for those who haven't checked out the fear and greed uh, index yet, it's on CoinStats and it's based on market volatility, uh, media sentiment on Twitter and the like, surveys, uh, momentum and things like that. And uh, it looks like it's gone up. Uh, so we've gone up, uh, up from 59, uh, which was last week and yesterday was at 55 and now we're up to uh, 64 out of 100. So. Uh, that's pretty interesting. What do you think about that, Simon? I think the, the fear and greed indicator has been around a long time and, and, and it's shown its merits. It's a pretty good indicator, I guess, of market sentiment in so many ways. And I agree with it. Like right now, I think people are starting to get a bit greedy at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at the whole big macro kind of view of the world, it's still not great. And so for people to be greedy in crypto right now, I think is a you know a little bit... You know, opposite, I guess, to what the worldview could think. But I think, you know, maybe the markets are ahead of the macro news in many ways. You know, the markets usually pricing things a little bit for the macro world kind of catches up. So I love the indicator. I think it's a really good one. And I, I tend to agree with it. Pretty much every time I look at it, I'm like going, yeah, I, I do agree. The, the, the market feel is, you know, fear or it's gritty right now. And look, yeah. why, is it, why is it gritty right now? Meme mm. coins, that's my thoughts. Meme coins have got mm. crypto people excited again. I've been looking at meme coins and uh, it's been going a little crazy uh, starting off with uh, Pepe coin. And we were just talking about this a couple of minutes ago and I was kind of regretting that I hadn't gone, gotten into Pepe coin specifically because it's kind of against my trading rules. As a rule, I, I tend to stay away from tokens that I do not understand the reason for the pump but mind you tokens like doge have done so well uh not sure what your thoughts are on uh, uh pepe and the likes yeah well it's it's the next meme coin of the next mm-hmm. bull one you know we had dogecoin we had shibuinu and now it seems that pepe is going to very much so go into the kind of class of them i think the thing to remember is that for the three of those coins that have ever existed there would be hundreds that have completely and utterly failed. And so meme coins, how do they really start? How do they get going? Who, who really knows? Like there's a lot of marketing hype. There's a lot of social media push, but that's done on lots of coins. Why did this one do really well? Don't know. Don't really know. It, it doesn't make sense to me for why it can do so well, but crypto is still full of greedy people and people mm. you know, get latched onto these things. Yeah. Uh, speaking of some that do well and some that don't do well. So I do. So I did mention that my rule is not to specifically get into one, even though it does get super tempting. And uh, at the start of this week, I did see a token. I think it was called Wojak and it had started to trade on Twitter. And the thing was it offered free airdrops to everybody. And I'm not against airdrops. And all you had to do was pretty much just retweet it and put your Solana address. And I think it was... Yeah, yeah. And it, it was bragging that it would be, I think, one of the first uh, meme coins on Solana, something along those lines. And I said, well, why not? And I signed up for the airdrop and 
and uh, guess what? I, I never got it. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but, you, but you tweeted about yeah, it. I, I did tweet about it. I did tweet about yeah. it. I took it down when I yeah when the arrow didn't get to me. But the thing is, they I, they they put in a bit of liquidity in their uh, address because I uh, looked at the liquidity levels after I realized I didn't get my airdrop. What the hell happened? And it had Ethereum and Warjack, but it didn't last too long. It had a couple of thousand dollars and it looked like whoever got the airdrop just went and uh, changed their Warjack to Ethereum. <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely definitely a rug pull. Uh, mm. Look, mm. I, I think the thing to remember is that it's a confidence game. And meme coins are a confidence game. So they use social media to push them mm. to build confidence and build hype and then build FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. And so it takes a lot of effort to finally get one to I don't know, break the dam in some so many ways like Pepe has. Mm. I mean, it's, it's normal to, to feel like you've missed out. There's no doubt about it. But I guess to put it in perspective now, people thinking about getting in now. Like I'm looking at the numbers now and Pepe... And 61 on the you know ranking that's huge it's got an 821 let's call it 822 million dollar market cap like that is insane for a meme coin and so mm-hmm. could it be the next shibunu yeah it could be but let's compare it to shibunu then which has got let's have a look there it is it has a six billion dollar market cap so. oh my god Shibuya is still somehow got a $6 billion market cap. So Pepe, if it wants to become a Shibuya kind of thing, it's still got another, what, that's another 7, 8x in it. So Mm. it could still 7, 8x to get on that kind of level. It's just less and less likely. So now you've got to start asking yourself, what's what's your risk to reward? Because it's far more likely at this point in time that it's going to dump than it is going to do another 7, 8x to get up to that kind of valuation. It's still good. So people chasing it now, it's a bad time to chase. You have missed the boat, I feel. I think the risk to reward is not there. I think there's other opportunities to far safer to get a 7 or 8x return, mm. but maybe not in the um, short time frame. Yeah, I, I was looking at the uh, liquidity depth on uh, Uniswap. I think it was on Uniswap, and there's, there's some tools that you look into it. And uh, so Pepe's liquidity depth seems to have remained steady or flat in that there's been a lot of Ethereum coming in and there's been some, uh, there's been plenty of Pepe tokens coming out. But then at the same time, if you're a liquidity provider um, and you see Pepe tokens coming out, you would need to increase uh, the amount of Pepe in there. Uh, but then, and you'd also want to increase the amount of Ethereum. Like when 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 the market gets busy, you you make you want to increase the depth. But it seemed kind of flat, uh, which was kind of interesting. And so, what made me question, what made me wonder was whether whoever's provided the liquidity, whether they want this there for the long term. I guess that remains to be seen. But then. I think uh, to echo what you said in that we might be a little bit, it might be a little bit late to enter is that whether the liquidity is there to stay or not, 
uh, the volume was decreasing. So the volume essentially shot up for the last uh, maybe two weeks or something like that. But then for the last couple of days, it's been declining, meaning that we're probably running out of buyers. And that could be a signal that we've hit the top, or at least we've hit a top, we might see a dip, and then it might shoot up again. It's really hard to predict these things. Yeah, who knows? It's just going to come down still to, to the marketing machine behind it. So obviously, people have made some money. I'm not sure if you, you saw, but Pepe Coin got advertised in Times Square in New York. And so I'm pretty Oof. sure that cost, it's got to cost a bit of money to do that kind of advertising. What? But who did that? I imagine someone who's made a lot of money on Pepe, who still has a lot of Pepe and wanted to continue to drive the marketing campaign and to pump it further. Mm. So that's how the hype keeps going. That's how the machine keeps going. You know, Shibu yeah, Indo's kind of hype has kind of flattened out now for sure. I mean, it's, it's mm. gone through a bear market and still holding some element of value, which is amazing. Yeah. So Pepe's got a whole bull market ahead of it, though. So who knows what we could do? Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're just at the start of the bull, and I'm really surprised about the ad advertising. That's, that's insane. And I have a feeling that uh, somebody's probably figured out a strategy. Whoever invented Pepe coin, they might have bumped into it by luck. They might have been the people behind Shiba, you know, who knows. But they figured out a strategy to do it. They maybe build their Twitter, build their Discord, promote it somehow. They've got something going there. Uh, my prediction is that during this bull run, we're probably going to see a few meme coins coming out. Some are going to succeed, uh, at least in the short term, and some might fall flat like Wojak and not even last a couple of days. That's how I see it. Oh, definitely. Oh, it's just part, mm. of, part of the market. I mean... Dogecoin has been yeah. around for a long time. Dogecoin, yeah. the creator literally said he made it as a joke and it's still around. <laughs> so meme coins are a part of the space. And it's, it's a confidence game. People always sit there and refer and go, look, Bitcoin started that way as well. Bitcoin's mm. now developed its narrative of store of value, you know, digital gold. Mm. It didn't have that start. At the start, it was a meme coin. It was mm -hmm. a bunch of people who assumed it had an element of value and they had to market it. And it, you know, it's the kind of thing is that the more and more people talk about it, the more people advertise it, the more it goes up in value, the more people come into the space, the more people want to talk about it. It's effectively Ponzi scheme economics in so many ways. So it's mm -hmm. got to reach a critical mass like Dogecoin obviously has and Shiba obviously has where it gets past just being a nothing coin and becomes a cultural coin in so many ways yeah. or creates a narrative or a use case like Bitcoin. And so oh, yeah. the meme coins just, just have to launch to this a lot quicker mm. than anything else in the space, really. Oh, yeah. And mentioning uh, Ponzi schemes, I... Oh, what a um, segue! <laughs> <laughs> I bumped into... Uh, well, when looking at uh, these uh, meme coins, uh, it got me thinking of uh, BitConnect and I actually wondered what the hell happened to that guy? And uh, I found his history here. So uh, I get this. I, I didn't even the, know his name. The guy. Do you want to let everyone know what the guy is? Hey, yeah, uh, hey, yeah, uh, hey, yeah. Uh. <laughs> what's up, what's up? So for, for people who don't know, BitConnect <laughs> was probably one of the biggest Ponzi schemes that crypto had. And this was back in, what, the 2017 bull market kind of craziness. Mm -hmm. It was just a massive Ponzi scheme. It had a huge marketing campaign. And this guy, Carlos Mateo, was just 
very famous for his saying, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, and his big shouting, Bitcoin! Massively pumping the bags of this Ponzi scheme. Anyway, continue. Oh, yeah. How's he going? So he did that. He did that speech in uh, 2017, and and uh, so that went down really well, and the token went up, and that was in Thailand. And in 2018, that's when the United States Securities issued a cease and desist to BitConnect and declared it a Ponzi scheme. Uh, move on to uh, uh, end of January or mid-January, BitConnect shut down. And that's when the price of the token BCC uh, essentially crashed down to uh, 22%. And uh, a restraining order was put on to uh, BitConnect uh, assets. Then, uh, yeah, so what happens next, Simon? Uh, do you want to continue? <laughs> I haven't followed the guy that much because, I mean, I, I wasn't sure whether he was just a a promoter guy who got stuck in the wrong place or whether he really knew what was going on. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know, there's an element of responsibility that would have to lie on this guy in some way, shape or form. But I don't know, did, was the guy actually a founder? Was he part of the organization or was he literally like a paid marketing campaigner guy? I don't really know that part of the story. Well, so the crazy thing is uh, the, the founder was... Uh, uh, arrested in in India at the in 2018 uh, in in August, and uh, maybe six months later, Carlos uploads a video saying that he also lost money and he was just uh, let's call him let's call him a tool in the game. And so the crazy thing about this is that the founder was indicted in 2022, and Carlos is still out there. Uh, he. Uh, he's actually done an interview. I think that was in 2021. And he said that now he is a psychologist working with autistic kids, uh, a life coach. And uh, he tried to release his uh, NFTs only chads. You can actually find it on Twitter, but it doesn't have that many followers, I guess. <laughs> he was kind of tainted by the whole BitConnect thing. But it looks like he landed on his feet. I'm really surprised that he got away scot-free. <laughs> Uh, so it just depends on how much he knew what was going on. Was he just a promoter or was he a founder? You know, it's kind of like, you know, you compare that to like Luna and Do Kwon, you know, the founder of Luna and the arguments go, kind of go both ways that he created a very successful blockchain, which had a very unique failure mode in it that everybody was to a degree aware of uh, yeah. with UST being backed by the Luna token itself eventually deep begging <laughs> so was he responsible everybody knew about it at the end of the day he made a lot of money off selling his lunar tokens as a shop in value though so he made millions probably more like billions of dollars through his project that ultimately failed and so mm. you know his attitudes of how he marketed it and his aggressive nature about it got him on the wrong side of everybody but I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I don't really know whether he did something illegal because he built a project that had a very well-known flaw in it. And so a lot of people mm. lost money. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not good. And you're, you're right. He was kind of 
a jerk. There's there's some things he, he said. He was a jerk. He was a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's all laugh. Anyway, I, I, I heard last, last I heard about Doe Kwon, though, he was arrested, wasn't he? So I think obviously there are some charges coming against him in some way, shape or form. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm not, I don't follow that story too much anymore because there, there's a lot of pain for me in that one to a degree. I did lose some money mm. with UST. But that's oh, yeah. crypto, unfortunately. That's crypto. We do yeah. lose money to make money at times. Yeah, it is. It, it actually makes me wonder exactly what the charges are going to be and how they're going to end up because that implies that even if you're not uh sort of directly building a pyramid scheme if if somebody builds a smart contract that isn't exactly uh super stable has some flaw uh i guess they could be held liable that's a little bit scary uh for any project builders out there uh, yeah, I, we're I, not yeah, lawyers. Yeah. We're, we're not lawyers. We don't know what the rules are behind it. We know he <laughs> made a lot of money. We know he made a lot of other people lose money. It wasn't good mm. for crypto. Mm. All right, let's oh, move yeah. on, mate. What's, what else are we talking about? <laughs> uh, Eigenlayer, it's it's hitting the mainnet soon. They've been tweeting about it, and I'm kind of excited about this project. Um, and so this is a project who, that we... This is a project that we covered in one of our um, project uh, podcasts. So Eigenlayer is a form of restaking ETH, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, if you could essentially put your uh, ETH on Eigenlayer and pretty much pick a whole bunch of projects where you want to stake at the same time, which is kind of crazy. So you can stake on Ethereum mainnet, for example, and at the same time, your ETH can be staked on a couple of other services on there too that would compound your earnings. So you've got pretty much your cake and eat it. You don't have to decide, do I have to stake here or there? You can actually stake in three, four, five places, however many places you want. It's it's kind of nuts. So what's the and, risk though? Obviously you're, not, you're, you're doing more staking. So there's obviously added risk for that extra yield is there. Oh yeah, there's definitely a smart contract risk, of course, from Eigen layer itself. But then on top of that, there's smart contract risk from every other place that you stake. That means that if something's wrong with your contract or something's wrong with the client that you're using to restake on their side, uh, it could end up getting your Ethereum slashed um, just because it looks like the client isn't being honest, even though it is being honest. Uh, So that is always a risk, I guess. But then the cool thing is that you could still stake in services that have been around for a while. That's 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 kind of cool. Uh, you, you know, you're kind of more assured of the smart contract risk, uh, but it's still really exciting. Uh, I agree. And look, at the end of the day, if you can, you know, the ETH yield is the safest yield you can get in the blockchain space, I think, in my opinion. And now you can potentially add more yield to that. Again, it's going to create more of a hodl of Ethereum in general. So it's going to, you know, decrease the supply out there. It's mm. bullish for the price. And that'll also put a dent maybe on services that lend Ethereum. Uh, I'm, it might be way more worth it for me to put my Ethereum on Eigenlayer, stick it in a whole bunch of places instead of just loaning it out on Aave, for example. And I bet you that's going to pull back uh, Ethereum and all of those are the tokens that are eligible on Eigenlayer. But 
The crazy thing about it is that they tweeted that uh, they'd released uh, like the risk-taking announcement just a day ago, and they had 9,000 submissions with people offering to stake anything between 0.1 ETH to 30,000 Ethereum. Who has that much ETH? (laughs) Oh, boy. And if they're willing to risk, if they're willing to risk thirty thousand ETH in eigenlayer, that means they have a lot more that they're not putting into that risk pile. They've got a lot of ETH. Hey, there's there's whales out there, and they want to help progress the ecosystem. And you know that's great if they can help other projects. You know, get liquidity Mm. behind them, get backing, get security, and people Mm -hmm. get rewarded for it. Fantastic! It's it's great for the space, and it's good to see more layers to the Ethereum network. Oh, yeah. I, I think Eigenlayer is going to be pretty big. It's probably one of my favorite projects uh, this, I guess, this season. I've got my eye on it. Um, airdrop. Is we... there an airdrop? Is there an airdrop? Well, I think there might be a token, given that they've announced funding by VCs. So when VCs are involved, uh, you can usually expect an, uh, like an airdrop at some point. And... They, they will probably have, um, a, what do you call it, a, a bounty as well. That, that's usually a standard procedure. And if those things are there, there probably will be an airdrop. I, I would I would expect there to be an airdrop. Not that they have announced it yet. They haven't even announced a token yet. But they ha- they, They've talked oh. about it, but they, they push okay. it back. They push it back uh-huh. saying, we're not doing that yet. It's like, you know, we're not uh-huh. talking about tokens yet because we're focusing on delivering the product. And so that's common marketing speak, mm-hmm. I feel, from people saying, we know about that, it's there, but they are delivering yep. on the project first. They're not, they're yeah. not outright saying no, they're not outright saying no, <laughs> we're not doing it. They're not, they're not shutting it down. They're just pushing it aside and saying, not, not our focus right now. Yeah, I would definitely play around with Eigenlayer a little bit, just in case there's an airdrop. I think that's really interesting. That's something I'd love to do. Um, and uh, speaking of new projects, uh, Sui Network. Uh, what does Sui do again? Efficient so, well, it's, transfers. It's, yeah, it's another layer one. Let's just put it out there. It's another layer one. It's supposed to be faster and cheaper, and do a whole bunch of things that Ethereum can't do. So we've heard this before. <laughs> this one is similar to Aptos, I think, in that huge amounts of VC backing. They've got hundreds of millions of dollars invest into this thing. So there's a huge amount of VC backing. Aptos had the same. Aptos had a huge launch, did massively well, and the prices just plummeted. And I haven't heard much about Aptos since. Mm. And that comes back to (laughs) there's no projects built on those layer ones yet. And so Sui is going to be similar, I feel. I think there's once it's out there now, it's going to be, or it is launched now, I think, there's going to be a lot of marketing behind it. There's going to be a lot of push. There's going to be a lot of talk about it. They won't use the words Ethereum killer anymore because I don't think people like to use that term anymore, but there will be terms about this being the next layer one. So can it be, will it be? Like any of them, it's got a chance, I suppose. It's got a chance. Yeah, 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 it's got a chance. It it better be really cheap and really fast. And it better have a really compelling reason to move away from an Ethereum layer layer two because that cheap and fast doesn't work anymore because it, Vitalik just goes, hey, yeah, 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 but we've got a layer 
too so like whatever and and this live we now, the rave. yeah <laughs> they're even cheaper and faster <laughs> yeah but i think you know i mean sui okay. network's launched and it's got a 700 million dollar market cap already looking at my notes here so it's already massive and fully diluted it's a 13.6 billion dollar market cap so that's a top 10 yes. coin if it's fully diluted so there's a lot of tokens being held back funnily enough by yeah. the vcs so yeah. it's big it is a big big launch it is a big big layer one with a lot of backing i'm expecting to see a lot of marketing on this one just like aptos was but at the end of the day for it to sustain those prices and sustain any kind of growth they need people to build on it, so they need developers so that's what i'll be looking for to be honest is are we seeing developers working on the sui layer one? Oh yeah i mean i would really want it to crash uh in the next <laughs> month or so because then it makes it an interesting token for me to <laughs> look at because we're still at the beginning of the bear and i, I find crashes extremely attractive and if there's a VC listening, I'm sorry, but I really want that token to crash just just out of personal reasons. Yeah, and I, I still <laughs> think the risk to reward on this one is not great at the moment. It's just such a high market mm. cap already. So, you know, mm. do we need another layer one? Is it going to be competitive with the other layer ones out there? It's really unknown. So, yeah. maybe I sit there and going, the risk to reward's not there. As you say, if it, if it crashed in price, yeah, maybe it might be more enticing. Or yeah, if it started yeah. getting more development, you started seeing projects going on there, then the risk to reward changes, you know, the risk goes down because it's people building on it. So until we see that, it's too risky in my mind. Mm. Mm. Maybe a, a final uh, topic, because uh, we talked about layer twos and layer threes. Uh, Lens protocol, uh, social social network that's been a little bit expensive because I think something between seven cents to 20 cents to create a post or something like that. They released what they would call a layer three, but I really want to call it more of a layer four because we're just talking about layer fours. Uh, <laughs> we, which we just jumped past three, did we? Yep. Uh, well, that's, that's the thing. They've already had uh, app chains have been out for a while. So. Uh, what, what is it? let's say zk sync is a layer two and if you want you can create a layer you can create a layer three what they're calling hyperscaling and create an app chain on top of that so what lens protocol have gone and done is they've created this protocol where they pretend to do a transaction but they don't <laughs> and that's putting it kind of simply obviously oversimplifying it but uh so they're on polygon network and if you want to create a store of transaction of blockchain, what you do is you first create the transaction, uh, you sign it completely offline, and then you store it in the blockchain. But what they do is they create the transaction, and then they sign it to make sure that it's correct. And then they kind of go, well, this is a social network, so it doesn't have to be super secure on the blockchain. So what they do is they just toss the transaction onto IPFS. <laughs> that is essentially, I guess, so it's not actually, it's not actually what no. rolling it back up to the to the mainnet. It's it's not it's not rolled into mainnet. Uh, it it, it yeah. just goes into IPFS. Uh, they, they say they're using I guess the same protocol that Polygon uses to sign transactions and all that kind of business, but then they don't store it 
on Polygon. And their reasoning is that, well, it's a social protocol. So when you upvote somebody or when you like something or when you share something, it's not that serious and it might not really need to go on the blockchain. But then the the important thing, so like a, like when you create a profile, which is an NFT, that goes on the blockchain. Um, but then uh, when you like or share or all of these other things, it's, um, I want to call it hyper, hyper scaled, where they want it even faster than cheaper than, <laughs> I guess, ZK6 <laughs> hyperscale blockchain. And they're, they're putting it into IPFS, at which point I think they should have just used a database. I, I you know, respected them for having some cool ideas. Uh, like you said, I think it's more interesting to roll it up after maybe a week. That, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but I guess, you know, I think they might be right. Not everything needs to be on the blockchain. And so maybe your identity needs to be on the blockchain. Obviously, your money needs to be on the blockchain. But if someone liked your comment, it doesn't <laughs> need to be on the blockchain. That makes sense. So maybe this is a, a, a world that we're moving into, is that the, the things that are important are kept on, on blockchain. Mm. The things that aren't important are not. That kind of makes mm. sense in my mind. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I was... I guess, criticize them a little bit. I think what they're doing is kind of cool. And I guess one good thing about it is that it's not on the blockchain, but it's not on a database, meaning that it's still decentralized and I guess unstoppable. It's it's on IPFS. That's pretty unstoppable and it's decentralized. So that's, I guess that's kind of a cool feature. Yes, yeah, so sticking with decentralized themes. Well, hopefully this means they'll actually allow new users onto Lens Protocol because I had to apply to get her connected on there and you could get them like they had i guess a beta testing or something like that. but maybe now they're willing to open it up and anyone can sign up i'd probably give it a go now if i can yeah it's 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 expensive uh 20 cents per user is a huge uh acquisition cost on top of regular acquisition costs that normal companies go through add 20 cents on top of that that's pretty big throw in um hundreds of thousands of users who might just be creating accounts and then that's it. Some might be bots. I might go on Lens Protocol, create an account and be like, not for me, walk away. That's that's uh, that's pretty big cost. <laughs> so it's well, really that's the, that it, it goes yeah. into the theory that, you know, that Twitter came out with having to pay for your blue tick because then it, it stopped bots being created because now if there's a financial incentivization. You, the bots have to make more money than constantly paying for all these blue ticks. And so Lens Protocol is the same. If there's a fee for entry, then the bot has to be making more money than that fee for entry for it to be financially viable for you to try it. So yeah. it gives that wall of bot you know, moving into space. So I don't mind that. And it comes back to also the whole social media in general, but we don't realize that when we're using Facebook that we are the product. But mm. we're societally and culturally expecting these things to be free now. So that's kind of the change that we've got to get used to is that if we want something to be where we're not the product, we'll pay mm. for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm happy to pay a little bit just to not be the product. And uh, well, I guess that's it for this week, Simon. That was a pretty good rant. Awesome, mate. <laughs> I'll see you next week. Amazing. Until next week, Simon. Bye.